0: Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. Today's interview is part of the Connex Executive Insight Series, brought to you by Connex Partners. Connex Partners is the number one executive network for HR and healthcare professionals. With me on today's show is Jason Leoy, Chief People Officer at Dawn Foods. Jason, welcome, thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks, Maureen. My pleasure.
0: Happy to be here. What does a psychologically safe, inclusive, and authentic environment look like? And how does its creation help marry the DEI strategy with a people empowerment and engagement strategy?
1: For Don Foods? creating a psychologically safe and authentic work environment, especially when it's married with empathy and authenticity from a leadership perspective, is one where people can really feel comfortable coming to work and bringing their, their whole selves to work. One where I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. One where, I mean, I can shave my head. I know that people might be just listening to this podcast, but my head's shaved and I don't have to worry about my hair and I don't have to worry about wearing a goatee one day or wearing a, you know, not a goatee another day and, you know, wearing flip-flops one day or not. That's more material stuff, but also emotionally, people can be vulnerable. People can share what's going on in their, in their life and be okay with that. And, You know, we've created a lot of different spaces, not physical spaces, but just virtual spaces for people to really reach out and discuss what's going on in their lives. That's the beauty of the pandemic. If there's one thing the pandemic has done, it's really accelerated this notion of companies that really want to do this, of really connecting with their teams on a personal level and really connecting with people where they're at as opposed to where they want them to be. You know, in the words of our CEO, and she's put it very, very plainly that, you know, people have been the secret ingredient of Dawn. They are at the top of our circle of excellence. It's something that symbolizes what we are, what we're all about. We're about our people. And we embrace all people, not some people, not a few people, but all people. And we want people to feel confident bringing their true selves to work every day. And they gotta feel safe doing that. So we've created leadership, awareness, and training so leaders understand what that means for them. Because it's not just saying those things that, hey, you bring your whole self to work. It's also making sure our leadership models that behavior by bringing their full selves to work and also allowing their teams to do the same.
0: For me, that is so meaningful. And just an example, I'm coaching mid-level female leader who is incredibly brilliant and passionate about her work. The passion sometimes shows up in frustration or tears. When we have passion, you want it to show up in the work product. But often we create environments where it's not allowed to be present there, only directed to the work. And that's a challenge because to bring her whole self, that means all of that passion. And sometimes she gets frustrated. Finding a work environment like this is so crucial to her ability to really perform and it's curious how people use the word psychologically safe a lot, but they don't actually follow it up with an environment that is. They've just appropriated language.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting you say that because honestly, the whole notion of, I'm just using gender, right? So the gender norms, if you will, for someone who's passionate as a male is one thing in the traditional sense of a norm. The sense, uh, the norm for a female, in the traditional sense of being passionate means something completely different. And sometimes emotion comes into play and they manifest themselves into different things in men and women and other folks. And to have an organization that truly is inclusive, that truly embraces everything, is that you have to be able to understand, okay, hey, just because a male is emotional and reacts and you know they're pounding their fists on the table and that's kind of rewarded versus if a female does it and they cry, that's viewed as weak. That's not what we encourage here. You know, we, we want to make sure people understand where people are coming from. And I've seen that very often in previous employers where if someone like tears up or shows some emotion, that's just who they are. That's how they respond. That's how that's a visceral, physical response, as opposed to somebody else who might pound their fist or show anger. But that might be seen as strength. Neither one is strong and neither one is right. They're both right. And they're
0: both strong. It's just a matter of how the organization embraces it. That's such a crucial point. And specifically, when I teach groups of male and female leaders, there's one program we do for mid-career technology leaders. And it's interesting how often the women have felt shamed for their expression of anger shows up in tears. They're not helpless. They're pissed. They cry and the misinterpretation and the miscommunication between genders over that specific issue just drives weird behavior on both sides. And it's really unfortunate.
1: It does. And it is. It does. And it is. And this is one of the things about being authentic and being, you know, empathetic from a leadership perspective that we try to really not only just talk to at dawn, but also model is this notion of vulnerability and that's been particularly powerful during the pandemic for people to really identify with their employer. It was this whole notion at the beginning of the pandemic of like, I got to be strong. I got to grit through this. And and we had conversations as leaders. It's like, how do we get our teams to admit that they're not okay? Because we know people are not okay, right? I mean, everyone was going through some semblance of shock and awe or PTSD or something along those lines. So we we said during our town halls, we as leaders need to show vulnerability. And it actually all blended together nicely because during one of our first town halls during the pandemic, I was to talk to our resources for our employee assistance program. And I spoke to my CEO. I said, listen, I'm going to use an example. And I hope you're okay with it because I feel like it's going to be pretty powerful because the week prior, one of my team had come down with COVID. And this is like very early on. We didn't know much about it. So I was very worried about it because she had all the risk factors, right? So I was genuinely concerned, distraught. I mean, even my CEO said, hey, are you okay? Because you seem like you're, you know, you're not your normal self. I go, no, because I'm, I'm concerned. So I shared the story with our entire population. The amount of feedback I got, and I wasn't sharing this to get feedback. I was sharing it to show people that, you know what? I might seem real strong on the outside, but you know what? I was dying on the inside from the previous week. And it's okay to show that emotion because we all have it right now. The only way we're gonna come together as an organization and succeed is by all being vulnerable and showing our true selves to each other so we can all lift each other up, right? And that, I believe, led to a multitude of things that we've done over the last two years that really has amplified the notion of authentic leadership and being vulnerable as a leader. Because if your people know that you're a human, is typically leaders are looked at as robots, more often than not, unfortunately. That If you can show that you're emotional, that you're vulnerable, that you make mistakes, you can say you're sorry and just that you did something wrong. Those qualities still are not the commonplace for leaders, and they should be. Because that's the only way he can identify with people.
0: You know, as you say that, I think of NCIS and the rules, the Gibbs rules, where you don't say you're sorry, you don't admit mistakes. And growing up with a military dad, even as a female, I was taught strong people have this persona. Mm. So even though I'm female, I didn't learn to be vulnerable. I learned if you have an emotion, you run to the ladies room and you hit a wall or you do whatever you do, you cry. But that's never visible. And after a couple of decades of work, I needed to relearn how to show emotion authentically. And I wonder how many of our listeners are similar, that male or female were really taught that successful leaders come from a place of strength because we believed that people wanted to follow someone who was strong and decisive rather than someone who was authentic and decisive.
1: Yeah, one of my first bosses that I looked up to quite a bit. I won't share the specific advice he gave me, but needless to say, it was very counter to my persona. Like my persona is very transparent. What you see is what you get. You know where you stand with me and you know what I'm feeling. The advice I got from that individual was very much like, don't show your feelings. Don't show your emotion. Don't show that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh Some of it I do incorporate, but a large amount of it I
0: disregarded because that's just not who I am. And that's not who I want my people to know who I am. And the research is now supporting the idea that authenticity is a valuable trait because we, we actually resonate with our leaders. We don't just follow them. We resonate with them. And if they're cold and calculating, they don't create the resonance that invites engagement. Can you give some insight then into how Dawn Foods is operationalizing that mentality through initiatives like the I Am campaign?
1: I've been here for going on eight years now. I've worked on a ton of different things at Dawn, led a lot of different projects, but this campaign in particular, which was kind of the co-creation of our global brand and communications team and our people and culture team, that's kind of our organizational development team that drives our D&I initiatives. It started around our brand, like I am Dawn. Then we started to talk about I am as it relates to from a DEI perspective. Because what we've done with DEI is we looked at it obviously through your traditional lenses, right? But we've looked at it from a different lens as well. You know, you've got your diversity that's like, you know, you can see it, my skin, my, my gender, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we want to take one step further and take DEI to another level on what's inside the person right? Because typically what prevents us from being inclusive with each other is stuff that typically sometimes you don't even see. It might be the things that you deal with, or it might be some disorder, or it might be other things that, you, that makes up people what they, who they are. It's not just the obvious stuff. So the I Am campaign was one where we have Workplace, which is powered by Facebook. So it's like an internal Facebook page that drives our social media and communication across the world. Right now, about 2,500 people are on this platform. So the I Am campaign was launched during Global Diversity Month in October of last year. And the the goal specifically was to recognize and celebrate what makes our team different, what makes them special, what makes them who they are. We blasted this out and everyone was able to download a card with I Am. And then you had to fill in the bottom part of the card. And people just took it to another level. I mean, they took it beyond where I thought people would go. People started off with I Am a single mom. And I am the first-generation college graduate. All that was interesting, but then it, it really started to really grow and morph into something where we had an officer of the company and a board member of the company say, I am the son of a gay man who died of AIDS. I mean, that's one example. Then I shared the things that I deal with from anxiety and or ADHD. And then other people started sharing a multitude of other things. And the, the amount of connections that people started to make, like I started to get feedback from people that saw my post with me just holding up a card, people I had never connected with across the world of Dawn, like somebody in the Netherlands that i would never met before. We just started to share, you know, oh, you deal with this. What do you do? What, what kind of things do you work on? How do you deal with it at work? That's a connection, right? And I said that we have 2,500 people that are connected on, on workplace. There were 1,900 interactions on this campaign, which is by far the most that we've had of any campaign, even National Donut Day. The amount of impressions, the amount of connections that were made to this campaign was amazing. And it brought us together in a way that nobody ever thought. And people have been asking for you know more of it. And we've been giving more types of things where we can connect people together through various campaigns that we're doing but that to me really launched our D&I philosophy, our DNI i initiatives, our D&I program just through a campaign of
0: people sharing who they are. I'm just imagining as you do this that someone would do a 30-second video or a 10-second video and post creating a montage that shows the brilliance of being able to see beyond the surface. Actually that's exactly what we did. <laughs> I mean, we kind of combined it
1: with uh, with that plus everything that everybody shared. I mean, I try to interact with them as many of those card posts as possible, but some of the stuff that people posted was powerful. It was very powerful. When we started to come back together, we started to bring people back into the office and started to have some camaraderie together. But people remember those things. That's over almost a year ago. We talk about it, and it, it's brought us closer together as an organization.
0: One of the things I... Believe is that people who've overcome challenges end up being more, not only more interesting, but stronger as leaders and as human beings. And yet, as a society, we're often taught to hold that private rather than sharing it publicly. And it is those things that we hold private back to the authenticity that allows us to build almost the weaving of a spider's web kind of image of we have so many more connection points than we would ever imagine. And it is through that level of transparency that you model that we're able to create that web brings human precious souls together in a way that is authentic and genuine and happens to support Dawn's business model.
1: You know, honestly, you hit on it quite squarely when you say human, because typically, well, I would qualify as this pre-pandemic. Your typical corporation would look at people as resources, assets. In fact, that was even said, uh-huh. the most valuable asset you have is your people. That sounds great, but think about that statement. You're classifying your people as an asset. One of the main philosophies that we have here is that we cultivate the dreams of people, because resources don't have dreams. People have dreams. So we cultivate people's dreams that they have for their career here. You know, hopefully they can have a full career here. I mean, if they want to go someplace else, that's fine too. But while they're here, we're going to cultivate whenever we can in terms of bringing their whole person and their human instincts to life here at Dawn. But at the end of the day, if you think about what brings humans together and who are you most apt to follow, who are you most apt to connect with, just in a friendship, you're going to connect with the people that, open themselves up to you, not close themselves off to you, the ones that open themselves up to you. And if you can do that in a way that obviously is professional at work, I'm not saying everyone's going to start having a kegger, but we have people that are open, are themselves, and people start to connect and follow them as opposed to follow them because they're, they're their leader, right? No, I'm following them because I believe. I believe in who they are. And I've had many a conversation with a leader where I'm like, I knew their full person, but their teams didn't. And I had a a very long conversation with one leader. I said, the person that I know, the person that I see, the person that's vulnerable to me, I want you to show that to your team. And it was like I was telling them to jump off and skydive. And like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, show who you are. Talk about your challenges. Talk about how passionate you are about your your animals. I know all that about you. Your team doesn't know that. And if they just knew that about you, imagine if one person can identify with one thing that you did, you have a connection now, and they're going to be more apt to
0: listen to you and more apt to follow you. How do you deal with the risk or perceived risk that for some people, something like having a gay parent or being gay is challenging for them if I'm going to follow you or whatever. pick whatever bias, whether it's a religious bias or a different political view. People are kind of persnickety about who they're trusting of. We have a firm philosophy now where we
1: manage the majority, not the exceptions, right? I think the people that are persnickety or that are less apt to identify or trust somebody that admits something like that to another person is more the exception rather than the rule. Because, again, if you look at it generally in society, granted, you have your outliers, but generally people just want to get along, right? I mean, the vast majority of people just want to live their life, get along, and just be, right? Now, you have the exceptions on both ends that want to vilify or whatever, but we try not to manage the exceptions. We try to manage to the vast majority. Knock on wood, it's been fine so far. And... We don't ever say, you have to do this. We don't ever say, you have to share this. We just say, it'd be good if you could share something that people can identify with. It's a very operative word. And then model it yourself. Like if they see me doing it as the chief people officer, that gives them kind of the room to do it if they would like to. They don't have to, but if they would like to, they can. What we've said is generally share things that you feel comfortable sharing. Because that's going to help you accelerate your connectivity with your team.
0: It doesn't mean you're going to necessarily, you have to do it to connect with your team. It's going to help. One of the things that comes to mind, I was on the governing board for a gay rights organization for a while, and we published a book of stories because often people think of gay, and I'm picking that topic because of my personal experience, as those people, if you don't have someone in your life who's gay. As soon as you meet people who are gay, it's like, those people may be bad, but my friend Jason's fine. Or my friend right. Sue is fine. That humanizing, I think, also helps us create a more accepting total environment, right. starting with small steps. I'm not saying come in and do something that I would do in a pride parade in the office because that may be out of line. But sharing a little bit of personal detail seems like it creates a level of acceptance. And what we saw there was you are fine. The rest of the population may not be. And that's was the beginning of the journey of acceptance. Correct. And there's a couple of leaders that struggled, right, with the I am. Like they were very
1: Danila, if you will, in terms of what they would share. But that's OK. That's what they felt comfortable sharing. And I'll tell you what, that was a struggle for them to share that again, go back to the whole way where we, we were normalized growing up in our careers. And you've got these very alpha leaders. Think about how they've been rewarded. They've been rewarded for that behavior that says, don't do any of that stuff that I'm telling you to do. <laughs> you know, So it's a little, little bits, bit. little bits and pieces. And I've seen some great evolution in some of our leaders in how, how they've started to open up. You know? And I know it's a struggle for some of them because not everybody can just be just wide open. Nor would I expect you to be, because
0: that's who you are. That's not who I am, but that's who you are. So I accept that. And my assumption is over time, people will feel more safe. So the first thing I throw out, like my mom has dementia. People around me now with parents with dementia open up about that. I've got a client who also is in a similar spot, and it has been so helpful for him to have someone who understands. I have other clients with other biases or preferences, and I can talk about those. I don't necessarily on my LinkedIn page give the list of things that (laughs) might be unique about me because that could be off-putting to (laughs) some people. Yeah, exactly. Are you continuing the campaign? We are continuing the campaign in different
1: forms. Again, this October to see what we're gonna do during this October, but the IM campaign was so powerful. We're looking at either repeating it in a different way, it may be more interviews as opposed to posters. And we are finding that the interview methodology of sharing information, especially with key people in the organization, is a great way to share what kind of organization we are. Because we're looking at redoing our entire website. We're gonna do more Facebook Live. You know, Carrie Barber, our CEO, she's going live
0: and she's going to talk about who she is or stuff like that. We're going to do it in different ways. I love the idea that with each successive in its years, people will share more and hearing from your CEO and your board members sets the tone from the top that it's not only okay, it's expected.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also it's not a program. It's a way of being. You know, that's the other thing about our D&I program. It's really not a program. It's a way of being. Just like with any good, you know, succession management or even HR program, you know, it's successful when you don't have to send out an email to run people to do it. Uh-huh. That's the same thing that we're striving for from a d i perspective. It's not a program. It's something that we just talk about. And we're getting there. Our acceleration and our curve is just straight up. And I think it's because we're taking we're taking baby steps. As you take baby steps, those baby steps turn into adult steps real fast. I just remember when my kids were young. They started to crawl, but then they started when they started to walk, forget about it. You had to start running all over the house. It's kind of the same thing. Our baby of D and I here at dawn is running all over the house now. So we just have to make sure it doesn't fall. That's all we gotta do.
0: You know, I wonder as you're saying that kind of the combination of I am and I believe or I because I had these experiences, it's influenced me in this way. Because I am a white woman with two parents with dementia, I now focus militantly on brain health. I, I do yoga. I meditate. I do everything I can to keep what's in here not mushy. <laughs> oh, right, Great. <right. laughs> not a technical term. <laughs> How does the I am support who I am at work? And as a team member, the I am campaign or just the philosophy of I
1: am, I think what it does just reminds us all at dawn that we're people, you know, that we are people. We're here to service our customers with the best products in the bakery business. Right. And I think what it also does, it does remind us all that we are here to provide, you know, sweet baked goods to all of our customers and to provide wonderful moments in their lives. Right. That's all we're here for. And I think the I Am campaign and, and all the other types of activities that we have going on just reminds us all that we're all here together around one purpose and that we're all very uniquely qualified to do this thing. And we're all not coming out from the exact same perspective, but we can all build each other up along the way. The great resignation didn't really happen here. We had turnover. That's what I'm saying. We didn't have turnover. It was just a different type of turnover, especially in our plans. Our general percentages were about the same. But our salaried workforce and other folks, they, they stayed. And a lot of people admitted that you know they had other opportunities, but they stayed because this is a place they felt like they could be themselves. That's a good reinforcer to keep telling that story. We have people that have told that story publicly of why they stayed, um, and they haven't gone someplace else. And it's for their own personal reason. No one has a similar story, nor would I want them to have a similar story.
0: In a time where we're dealing with What I'm reading now, we're calling PTSD, that people have gone through the pandemic and are dealing with elevated anxiety and depression, just wondering what's going to happen next. Now we have a supply chain issue. Now we have a war in Ukraine. We still have COVID variations. Are my kids back in school or not back in school? What's going to happen with can we get food supplies or whatever that this ongoing base level of anxiety has elevated? And anything we can do in the workplace to help strengthen the resilience, again, of the precious souls who show up every day to do their work when they're worried about their kids or their parents. The worries are stacking up, and yet they still have to come to work to pay the bills. When work becomes a better place And it sounds like Dawn has really made progress in making the workplace a positive offset to the anxiety of the world in which we inhabit.
1: We all have anxiety at work. We all have stress at work. It's a naturally stressful thing. I mean, if you're driving deadlines and like you got work, you have output that you need to pump out, we don't want to make it as a stressor, right? The world is already a stressful place. We want to make it a place that feels like I want to say it feels like home because that sounds very cliche-ish. It's a place that people can feel safe to do their thing and also maybe support them in their broader objectives in life. I had a conversation with a team member just two weeks ago. She moved to a different state because we have a remote work policy now and a very pure remote work policy. And because of our policy, she was able to move, deal with a very difficult divorce. She was able to move, go be with her family, who are suffering from some semblance of dementia, but she's able to be there with her parents, with her sisters, so that she can be there with them every day, but still be a productive member of Dawn. You know what? We have someone now that is probably more committed to this company than anybody else because we've allowed her, and I'm not saying allow her in the patriarchal sense, but we've allowed that individual to really put their life together completely. They've been able to deal with the stressors that they've had. They've been able to deal you know, with the anxiety they've got with their parents. We put them in a position where they can actually now do some good and feel like they are giving back to their parents, but still doing a great job for us. The anecdotal feedback I've gotten from other people that know this individual, they're like, she is happy. She is more committed than she ever has been. And that to me is one example probably of many that I, I don't know of. Of how we've approached work here at Dawn, it's allowed people to do some amazing things in their personal lives.
0: The idea that we can integrate all of the facets of ourselves and the working remotely for many people opens up possibilities that we didn't have before.
1: Yeah. Am I here to tell you it's been smooth? Because it was rough at the beginning, because he had changed a lot of paradigms real fast. But the one thing that I would say that's been the beauty of the pandemic is that all the sacred cows are dead. There is no more sacred cow. We're creating our own pasture now, and there are no more sacred cows. They're all dead to the pandemic. They all caught COVID. They're all dead, you know? (laughs) Uh, So that's allowed us to break through and create a new work environment for people. As an HR professional, it would take me years to convince people to do fully remote work, if ever. I mean, we accelerated that in six months, actually a month
0: we had to get everyone go remote. Let's use that comment as a jumping point then into the idea of coaching. Mm -hmm. Coaching leaders on how to lead is especially important right now as work has changed, as leadership has changed. And they're now juggling frontline employees, corporate employees, work from home, people who still have to come in and run your facilities. What's Dawn Foods doing in that space to democratize the skills you expect from leaders and also to upskill them where you said sacred cow's gone, but if my cows are gone and the cows set the rules, now I have kind of a void. And as you're trying to shift the culture, I'm guessing you don't want a free-for-all. You have a different set that you expect people to lead to. From a complete organization perspective,
1: we are an organization that's centered around continuous learning, and we want to make sure that all of our leaders nurture and develop our leadership skills But from a perspective of having a you know, kind of a framework. We revamped our competencies. Our competencies were kind of your old, stale competencies. If you think about it very traditionally, you name the program that's out there, whether it's Myers-Briggs or whatever, or all this other stuff, competencies that create leaders We had all that stuff in our performance management process, but what we transitioned is from competencies, to behaviors that we're expecting out of our leaders. And we went from like 10 competencies to five core behaviors for everybody, not just for leaders, but for everybody. Now, the way you do it is different based on your role. They're a lead, partner, innovate, adapt, and deliver. Now, the way you measure them, they're embedded in our performance management process. The way you measure them, the way we train to them are different based on level. We've partnered with LinkedIn Learning, uh, which has been a great investment. The scalability and the breadth and depth of courses that are out there is just amazing. I actually catch my CEO on Fridays going through at least one LinkedIn Learning course. You can go on LinkedIn right now and you can find that she's sharing what LinkedIn course she's done. It's Partnering with LinkedIn Learning, identifying the core behaviors, and then centering around our leadership curriculum, if you will, around those behaviors. And that's just one example of LinkedIn Learning. The other things that we do is we partner across the globe with partners, whether it's linkage for our women's leadership program, um, right management. They have a wide variety of resources globally to help develop leaders. It's not just the outplacement service that people typically think of, but a whole plethora of resources from a coaching perspective, 360s and other types of things. We partner with a bunch of different firms on the outside to help us center around these behaviors, but we don't throw spaghetti against the wall, if you will. We make sure that we partner with firms that know who we are or that we can identify with in terms of how we behave. You know, there's a lot of firms that we we push away, whether it's recruitment firms or training partners that while they might be world-class, they're not for us because they either don't exemplify who we are through their behaviors or they don't get us because they have a different culture. So we keep our, our partnerships very close and very small. That way we know what's getting delivered from a third party is what we want. So that's what we do from a leadership and coaching perspective. Plus, we've changed the notion of coaching and 360 to one that's more of development and building people up as opposed to when I got here, 360s were viewed as negative. And it's like, if you got a 360, you're probably getting fired, right? That's not the way we do it. We use 360s and these tools and these assessment tools, to coach, guide, develop, and build. We make sure that our leaders are modeling that by them going through coaching and 360s and so on and so forth. And they can see that they're still here. So it's been a very long journey, but because we've crawled quite a bit, we're now running. And it's a matter of just keeping our our focus around our behaviors, our circle of excellence, and our values. If that makes sense.
0: Being in this same business, I understand how challenging it is to make that cultural shift, process shift, behavioral shift, not just putting in a brilliant framework, but getting people to change how they think about something like a 360 or getting coaching. I'm working with a client right now, and we've launched a leadership program for successors to the senior team. And it's interesting going from not having had any investment in them like this, how grateful they are compared to other clients where it's just a thing I have to go to. And how do I minimize the time I have to waste on that leader stuff versus this is a game changer for my professional life. Whether I stay here or go elsewhere, I'm now going to have the skills and the change in mindset. And that's one of my big hot buttons, I guess, is the mindset that underpins how I behave. Using your example of mental health, right? Brain health,
1: making sure that your brain doesn't turn to mush, right? Well, how do you do that? You have to keep feeding it through action it's the same thing as leadership it's not just a one and done thing i'm not going to just go to a course and then boom i'm a leader it's i go to a course i go to maybe five courses and i keep getting reinforced and coached and guided and tie back and if things are viewed as a program they're going to fail and that's the one thing that we've been able to do is that everything that we we're doing today we started three years ago because We set out with a purpose of that whatever we put out there, we're going to have to be able to repeat and repeat again and repeat again and repeat again and get better each time and keep feeding it, right?
0: And that's the only way you get better. It just really hit me with what you talked about earlier about mental health, brain health. And I fundamentally agree on leadership as well. Right before we got on the phone, I sent a message to a CIO because we work a lot with technology people. He's sent several people to one of our open IT leader programs. And the question was, how do we help them continue to grow? Because some of them are five years and four years and three years out of the program. And to your point, that one's run like a program. How does he recapture that investment that he's made in his people so that it is continually refreshed? Mm -hmm. Because their organization, like most has changed significantly since COVID. The investment of five years ago is now a fully depreciated asset, basically. Right, right.
1: The Women Leadership Program that we launched this past year, it's one of those things where it's labeled program, but it was just a natural evolution. When we we had our first cohort We identified 12 high-powered female leaders across our organization that were identified as either ready now or ready in the short-term successors for key leadership VP plus roles at Dawn. That was our first cohort. I remember our kickoff, and I remember when we were going through all the different programs and what people could expect, the main thing that we said is that, like with everything else we've developed, you are the first. You're definitely not going to be the last. And you're paving the way for all these other leadership programs that we've been wanting and and needing at dawn. But we've needed people to blaze the trail because you can't just create something that's just baked in somebody's mind. This leadership program was baked with a purpose. Not that I'm using the bake analogy because we're a bakery company, but it was baked with a purpose because it's going to evolve to other things. And there was somebody that was in, in, in this cohort that I started dawn with. And I'll never forget, we were at a sales meeting seven, eight years ago, and we we're sitting there complaining about, hey, how Don never has a leadership program, doesn't have this, doesn't have this. I said, the only person that you have to blame now is you, because I made sure that when I, when I got into this role, we were going to create the programs that we needed, Don, to create leaders that are going to be lasting and sustainable. You know, and right now we're going to be going through our second cohort and we're identifying four or five other different types of programs, to develop high potential leaders, people of color leaders, young up and coming leaders, first time leaders, and it's just morphing into great stuff. And it's a matter of now focusing it where we are going to get the most return on the investment in terms of leadership. But that's the good thing is that once you blaze a trail, everyone's following now. And it was great to have the Women of Leadership program because- One, we've got a CEO who's a woman, who's a very powerful woman, and we've got a lot of great leaders at DAWN that are all women in great roles. And it seemed a natural place to start
0: because we have such great talent there. When I was preparing for this, I worked at Accenture 20 plus years ago, and they started a women in leadership program because the same problem probably many companies see now is you've got an equal distribution of women into a certain level, and then that distribution falls off and it continues to fall off at an accelerated rate. And that women's leadership program was a highlight of my professional career. And interestingly, we picked coaches and I picked a male coach. So it wasn't all about women supporting women. It was women getting what they needed And he happened to be focusing on project work that I needed to learn, but also I needed to learn how to be more effective with my male leadership colleagues. What I took out of it was different than other people took out of it. And I appreciated the flexibility that we all got to tailor our learning objectives, even within a structured program. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the best things about
1: our program is that you know, we have sponsors. We don't have mentors of each one of these women uh, that are a part of the cohort. And the sponsor's job is to ensure that these women have every tool and opportunity available to them to break through every paradigm they they thought or built up for themselves. And a lot of our sponsors are men, but you know what? The next cohort, all the sponsors will be part of the first cohort, so they'll have a whole bunch of women now sponsoring and and leading and growing and that's the other notion of allyship that we've really embedded into our leaders too it's not just about quote-unquote supporting because anybody can support through words or through money to be a true ally i mean you got to start breaking through some stuff you have to be able to run through a wall for somebody because you believe in it as their sponsor and that's the thing that makes this program powerful is that that's the marching orders for the sponsors. That you have to run through walls for your people. And if they are hesitant to ask for something from their leader, it's your job to make sure they've got what they need to ask. And then get that leader sensitized to be open to the ask. If you tell somebody to ask for something, like you you go through these women empowerment type of programs and so on and so forth, they'll say, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Okay. Well, if you ask for what you want and you get told no, are you going to ask again? Probably not. Right. So we are teaching our sponsors to make sure that when that person asks, they get a yes. They have to pave the way for their people.
0: You know, it's interesting, the education on the sponsor side being a good sponsor and the participant side being sponsor ready that I have to be performing at a certain level before I go make an ask. And it sounds like your program is really helping people become sponsor-ready.
1: You know, In terms of making sure that our sponsors really break through. But the good thing is that our organization hasn't had to do that because our organization has been receptive to the asks. So a lot of the sponsors' readiness to break through or break down barriers hasn't been required yet because i think people just know where we stand in terms of making sure people are open for this evolution in our organization so i see nothing but upside from here on out in terms of future programs and and growing our talent beyond this and we've got great support too obviously our former ceo but our board we just actually hired a board member lorna Donatone. she's a fabulous board member she's led many efforts like this in the past so she's been in, i mean she's actually done a couple a couple of talks for our organization about breaking through from a woman leadership perspective.
0: It's interesting because as much as I think the skills for leading are similar for male and female, how we're wired is different. And so how we show up to the engagement requires a little bit different stretch. And then add to that, each of us in female bodies, as is true of male bodies, happen to have a different set of experiences. I talked about my dad being an army intelligence guy. He was the predominant influence. So I grew up not being very emotional. And there were men listening who grew up way more emotional than I did because they had a different set of experiences. Right. Back to the ally sponsor advocate. I mentioned gay rights earlier. My grandmother ran a flower shop and hired mostly gay men. You know, this was a long time ago because I'm old. And so this was an era where openly gay men didn't have many opportunities. And so I grew up with one, a deep appreciation for these men who were absolutely the most supportive people in her life. And she she was my favorite person in the world. So as an adult, I joined the board of a gay rights organization with the express intent to be a good ally and advocate for one, it's easier to advocate for an issue. That's not my own. Right. Cause I don't get caught up in my, my own stories. I was caught up in the story of these are people who were so incredibly important in my life and how do I advocate? And so for anyone who's listening, who wants to be a sponsor and has felt uncomfortable there is such an importance for women's leadership programs, for whatever segment that we're creating programs for, to have people who look like us and also to have sponsors and allies and advocates for whom this is not their personal issue, who can open doors and share perspectives that we don't have because we're us. I agree. I think that
1: that's one of the most powerful parts of the program is that our makeup of who our sponsors, our advocates, our champions and who are in the cohort and how they blend together. Yeah, you know, we had a women's leadership panel that was half male and half female. And a lot of it on the male side is how you become that ally and how you break through. And some of them are fathers of daughters, right? And how they teach and how they guide and all that kind of stuff and how they what they see their daughters going through. But it like you said, the most powerful sponsor ally is not somebody of whom is apparent that it's personal, that they're doing it because they love it. They love these
0: people and they want the best for them. And it sounds like the Dawn leadership team has created and selected people who care about their folks. My assumption is over this seven years or so that this journey has been happening, that people who don't align or resonate with those goals have exited, many of them.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's been quite the evolution. Hasn't always been that way. Uh, We've definitely evolved. My evolution at Dawn has been interesting because I started as a director and I worked my way through the organization. And serving in this role is interesting because I have the benefit and the curse of knowing what happened before, right? And knowing what's worked and what's not worked. And, you know, the one thing that When I sat down with my CEO and we talked about, you know, the major objectives, I said, we are going to strive to never hire a leader ever again that does not fit or embrace who we are as a corporation. It's one thing to hire leaders that are going to break glass and try to drive things forward, but they have to be able to embrace the hundred years of dawn that's come before them, right? You have to embrace it and then lead. It's funny because the chairman just walked by and gave me a wave and his father pretty much started the company. But he and I had that long conversation a few years ago. It's was like, what makes it so hard for leaders to come in and, and just embrace the past? You know, we're not saying we want to always be the way we were in the 1950s, but at least appreciate what we did in the past before you start changing it all. Right. And that's the thing that works here. What works here won't work somewhere else. And what works someone else won't work here, and vice versa. But at the end of the day, whatever organization you might be in, hire people that are centered around your values, your goals, your core beliefs, and that can lead and guide the people along that journey. Typically, people hire within a framework or a pedigree. We try not to do that. We try to hire people that are the best fit within our organization. I don't mean fit like, you know, typical fit, you know, description, but they have to be able to fit within the organization. That's tough. It's a tough nut to crack. And You know, we hire high-level leaders and we, we spend a decent amount of money trying to make sure we don't hire mistakes. And it's just not a, it's not a science. It's an art. But you have to know where you've come from to know where you want to go.
0: The history piece is interesting to me. I, I work a lot with vertical development and the idea of leadership maturity. And at a certain level of leadership maturity, which doesn't mean gray hair or bald or anything, it means our meaning-making We, of course, look at the arc of time, not starting with me today, the day I walk in, but that the organization has its own arc of time and respecting the legacy that allows me to walk in today, allows me to change planfully with care, again, for the precious souls who invested their lives and are investing their lives work in bringing us here. And yeah, of course people made mistakes and the world's changed and it's unfair for me to apply today's thinking to what someone did a decade ago, because that wasn't the prevailing thought at that point. And there were still bad actors, you know, back in history too. So it is, it is a nuanced level of meaning making required to really be an effective leader. I'm not saying it's because
1: we're in ingredients, uh, you know, bakery ingredients business, but it's like any formula, it's like any recipe, a little bit here, a little bit there, there's a huge difference in what the output is. If you mix too much flour or you just let it sit too long or you heat it up too long or don't heat it up enough, it could be ugly. Or you know what? You might come up with something that's far greater than it was before, but you have to be able to have the environment where people can have the core ingredients But then you start to mess around with it a little bit and see what you can come up with. And as long as you have an organization that's open and receptive and you have leaders that just at a basic level treat people with respect, that's what works here. At the core of it all, treat people with respect and treat the history with some
0: respect, and you're going to go far. As you say that, one of the things we talk about is leaders now need to take on the mind of the scientist, given the rate of change, we need to continually experiment, understanding what's an experiment and what's not. So kind of the agile mindset or whatever you call it. But I am continually testing new things and I frame them as tests so people know when they're experimenting and when they're on the highway going in a direction. And that, to me, also creates the space for people to be okay not being perfect. Right. So as we're coming to a close, what data do you have for our listeners who want to say, that's all nice, but it wouldn't work for me, or this is about driving business value and that people stuff is nice, but not required? It actually is required now. So give us some data to support why this is so crucial.
1: One of my finance people put it the best. I've been here for eight years. I never heard a finance person say it quite like this because we've pushed for a lot of different types of programs and pay programs and various plants and so on and so forth across the globe with this labor shortage and supply chain shortages and all the challenges. We started to see our competition really struggle because they weren't taking care of their people and they were having labor shortages and a wide variety of other things. So we started to see work and business come to us. And we had a tough time hiring people. So very quickly, we made quite a few adjustments to do a wide variety of things from a compensation perspective to hire people into our plants because they basically said, we are losing millions of dollars of opportunity because we're trying to save $20,000 in costs to increase wages. What the hell are we doing? I said, exactly. I said, so let's see how much money we can get out there in the market, and let's start investing in our people and see what happens. And we're starting to see some really good growth. You know, we're starting to see some very good growth from a top line perspective. And we're starting to see some big wins from customers we would never have touched before because of the investments we've made in our people. For people that may not think that investing in people is worth it from a bottom line perspective, they haven't learned anything over the last two years. The companies that have really taken care of their people and really focused on This people first strategy from a leadership perspective are the ones that are going to win and that that will always win in the long run, and especially
0: coming out of this pandemic. What a powerful way to end. Let's make sure our listeners know how to get more information about Dawn Foods and about you so they can follow your success. Very easy. Just
1: www.dawnfoods.com. You can follow us on our Twitter handle and Facebook and LinkedIn pages always on LinkedIn. Uh, you can easily find me. I'm the, I'm the only one in LinkedIn with my name. So that's good.
0: <laughs> so, how do you spell your name so that people know how to find you? <laughs> my name is Jason leoy
1: L-I-O-Y. And you can just follow me and you can see all the great stuff that we're doing because we have a lot of activity on LinkedIn, a lot of activity on social media. And make sure you get to your local bakery and buy some donuts and uh, baked goods because that's the way to your family's heart is some sweet baked goods.
0: Jason, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and hear about your stories and be the person who gets to host the conversation where our listeners hear about you. I also want to thank Connex, our sponsor, and thank our listeners who are investing their time to listen and learn. Thank you for the impact you're making in the world right now as leaders whether you're leading yourself or your community or a large enterprise, as we face the changes we're facing right now, good leadership is absolutely fundamental to creating the world we want to create. So thank you for your time and investment. And we hope you'll join us again soon and also share our podcast with others. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Jason.